Welcome to the Australian Chiropractors Association podcast. The ACA is the peak body representing chiropractors in Australia. Hosted by ACA President Dr Anthony Coxon, these podcasts explore the science, art, philosophy and politics of chiropractic, as well as reviewing the latest research and discussing how chiropractors can strive for excellence in practice. Welcome to the Australian Chiropractors Association podcast. I'm your podcast host, Anthony Coxon. The ACA Reconciliation Action Plan is certainly a source of pride for our profession. It's a sign that we're doing our job as professional and corporate citizens to recognise the challenges that face Indigenous Australians and importantly, how we can help close the gap. While policies are important, there's nothing like a real life story to understand an issue. What is it really like in the 21st century to live the life of an Aboriginal man? Indeed, what is it like to be an Aboriginal man practicing as a chiropractor? Now, it's normally at this point that I give a brief bio to introduce our guest. But in the case of today's guest, Dr. Bill Haywood, it's his bio where I expect we will find the most important lessons. So let's see how this unfolds. Hi, Bill, and welcome to the ACA podcast. Hello, Anthony. Thank you for having me. So tell us a little bit about your background and, and your heritage. Uh, yes, uh, I, I, I'm probably a little bit more fortunate than some others. I, I can uh, trace my heritage back to 1826 and, and uh, on one side and further on the other side. So there is a, a, a fair bit of... Uh, information around that I've been, I can access. Um, just to go straight in, my original ancestors on the Hayward male side, um, the, we, uh, there was a uh, uh, Englishman, William Henry Hayward, that was transported as a convict out in 1826 to Albany. And he farmed land between the Broomhill and Cogenut area around the Kakanning district in the great southern of Western Australia. Um, in those days, the uh, farmers sort of, they were like the lords of the manor and they had uh, had both white and Aboriginal uh, family descendants. And I'm pretty happy about that because that's one of the reasons I'm here. Um, he, uh, he was, uh, had a partnership with a Aboriginal woman named Jack Balm, who was my uh, original descendant. Um, and my grandfather was uh, the result of that uh, down the track. Now, he um, uh, on on our family side, there's uh, English through this gentleman and uh, Afghani, um, Portuguese, and Aboriginal. So a bit of a mixture there, but it's it's a pretty exotic mix, I guess. Um, it absolutely is an exotic mix. Do you, do you find, um, I mean, most people when they look at you would recognise you a, as an Aboriginal man, though. Would that be the case? Yes, yeah, definitely. I, 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 yeah. So sometimes I, it's quite funny because in the area where I live, there's quite a few Indians and they, they always say hello to me. I don't know if they think I'm Indian or what, but, uh, <laughs> <laughs> but I identify as Aboriginal and uh, pretty happy with that. On my uh, on the female side, oh sorry, yeah, on the female side of my uh, Hayward heritage, um, um, the Afghani he was a camel trader, and he 
uh, hooked up with a traditional Wajari Aboriginal woman uh, named Jack Barman and my grandmother, Minnie Knapp. I think it, her name was Knapp or something similar to that. And uh, so Minnie Knapp was my grandmother and, of course, uh, he, uh, she was uh, ended in a partnership with uh, my grandfather, William Hayward. And um, so on the other side of the coin, the... Um, my um, mother's side, she was a, a maiden name was Farmer, but probably a pretty famous name in uh, AFL um, circles. Absolutely. Farmer, From Western Polly Australia, Farmer, of course. Yeah, and, and he played for Ge uh, Geelong, Graham Polly Farmer, and he's my first cousin. And uh, Jeff Farmer is another cousin that played for uh, Fremont Dockers. Yes. So in the AFL. Um, the, my grandmother, Emily Coyne, was a descendant of a partnership. Uh, of a traditional Manang uh, tribal woman from the Burma Bay district and a Portuguese sealer who either got shipwrecked or jumped ship down in that southern part of uh, Western Australia. Um, she was married to uh, William Pegg Farmer who worked in the land camps around Katanning in the Great Southern WA. He was a surveyor uh, or something similar and uh, she was a midwife and uh, she worked with uh, Dr. Pope delivering babies in, in the horse and cart days. So that was pretty interesting. Um, that just to carry on a little bit, my, uh, talk about my dad, my, my father, Maley Hayward. He was a champion athlete, runner, and was a state champion for, uh, for 400 uh, yards, 440 yards or something. And he was a footballer. Um, we lived in Katanning. He was a, a railway worker, we lived in a railway house, and uh, he was obviously with my mum uh, on the farmer side. Um, so that's that's a bit about the heritage. Any questions on that one? So it would have been, I imagine, uh, quite a thrill for you as a young bloke uh, watching, you know, your relative Polly Farmer playing for Geelong, I and mean, he was famous, as I understand, for having the he could hand pass as long as most players could kick a football. Yes, yeah, yeah, that's, yeah, that he was, and, and it was uh, quite, uh, we were quite proud of it, but unfortunately, I didn't get to know him a great deal because he was brought up in Sister Kate's, he was uh, yeah, illegitimate in them days, that was pretty frowned upon, and uh, his mother, um, my auntie, he couldn't afford to keep him, so she actually had, uh, he was placed in Sister Kate's, and right. uh you know, when when those sort of things happened, they both, they sort of went their own ways uh, in the end, which was a bit sad. But I did speak to him on a couple of occasions. So, what was it like in in the early years for you? What are some of your early memories of family and friends? Uh, well, funnily enough, we were quite uh, a lot of people in those days didn't have a lot, and uh, you know. Um, we were the same. At times it was, uh, you know, food was scarce, et cetera, et cetera. But um, it was a happy time, funnily enough, and, uh, you know, we'd grown up with siblings and and uh, my friends from school and, and stuff. We, and we, we did a lot of things that kids of today don't do, like, you know, we, we used to um, ride our bikes out the bush and camp out the bush. We'd go, go rabbiting, catch rabbits and sell the skins and, that to the local, uh, I think the firm was called in those days Wilcox Mofflin. They used to 
they used to uh, trade in in furs and skins and all that sort of stuff. And it was it was uh, a bit of a godsend for us uh, young people because th- that's how we got pocket money. You know, collecting yeah. bottles and uh, uh, wool. You know that if a sheep had died on the, in the on the farm and you collected that wool, you could take it and get it sold. And it was an interesting thing. We used to we used to collect what they call mana gum and. Believe it or not, they made glue out of it in them days. Right. And yeah, and we used to, yeah, that's how we, um, you know, got got a few shillings for lollies and go to the pool and that sort of thing, you know. And whereabouts in life. whereabouts in Western Australia is this? This is around Broome, now, is it? Uh, no, Catanning. Uh, uh, I grew up in Catanning. I was in Catanning for uh, till I was fourteen. And then that was transferred in the railways to Collie, and the rest of my time I, I had in Collie till till uh, I came to uni in Perth. And for those from Melbourne and Sydney and the other side of the world, where's whereabouts in Western Australia is Canning? Catanning, uh, Catanning's in the middle Great Southern area, and then Collie's more across towards the coast towards Bunbury. Right. Yes. So fairly remote, I imagine, when back in those days. Oh, yeah, definitely. I mean, it was a big adventure to come to Perth, um, you know, not like with the travel nowadays, that, well, apart from COVID, of course, people go mm. all over the world. But, um, yeah, it's pretty exciting to jump on the train and come to Perth. So the communities that you grew up in, are they were they mostly sort of a, a, a Aboriginal families or a bit of a mix or what would you say? Well, and it was kind of strange because... Um, there was a difference in races and there was a little bit of racism there, but generally it was country folk and country folk tend to get on, you know, and, um, you know, most of the Aboriginal people would have been doing labour and jobs or worked in the railways or the wheat bins or on farms and, you know, they, they were pretty much appreciated, I, I guess, in them days. I, I had a, we, we lived, uh, well, we lived across the road from the church and, and uh, I was um, pure as a driven snow in them days. I was going to church. I was an older boy and I went to church you know, three times on a Sunday, member of the Church of England Boys Society, which a lot of the boys were because there wasn't a lot of activities for young people in them days, uh, police and citizens club and, and the Church of England Boys Society where we, um, we spent a lot of our, our youth. And that was pretty good. So it sounds like a fairly sort of simple upbringing, uh, as you said. You know, you you weren't wealthy, but 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 more or less felt like you were just another member of the community. You didn't sort of sense that um, yes. that you were different um, from 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 a uh, so I guess from a cultural or from a, um, a heritage background. There was, you know, like there was some examples, but uh, you know they were few and far between. Generally, you, you, you were just part of your friends, and I mean, a lot of a lot of that stuff sort of went over my head. Um, yeah. uh, apart from the, the once or twice where we you know racism raises over head, but it wasn't much, and it, it was uh, like the big thing was Dad was a champion athlete, and. Uh, my grandfather was a, 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 they're all determined people to get on with their lives and that, that uh, a lot of discipline and it just it filtered through to us and I had good friends uh, my, when I was at school I was I was lucky enough, I don't know how but I was in the, in the top class all the time so I, there wasn't too many Aboriginals I think there was one other Aboriginal girl in that class 
And um, so most of my upbringing was with uh, like um, Caucasian students, white students. And uh, they, uh, I've still got half a dozen of those uh, that are very close friends with me now from five years of age. So it's a lasting friendship. And, uh, you know, we get together now and then and when we're talking and people can't believe that we've been mates since we were five. Wow. So your so your schooling, at least early schooling, was still sort of in, in the outback. Did you did you move uh, in into Perth, or or, or was all no. your schooling right done through high school in, in out in the outback in Western Australia? Yeah. Well, <laughs> it, well, Katani wasn't really the outback, but it, it, it was one of the major towns along the Great Southern Railway line. Right. I see. Perth to, Perth to Albany, but. Uh, yeah, we, as I said, I was there for, uh, up until the age of 14 and then I went to Collie and I, we stayed in Collie most of the time. And uh, after that, um, uh, yeah, and I went to school there, uh, worked there. Um, Collie was a timber town and a coal mining town and, uh, it, you know, you, there was lots of labour and work. You could always get a job in a timber mill. I don't think there's too many of them left there now, but... Um, I worked uh, in a range, all range of things, uh, you know, uh, labour and work and farm work, grew apples, grew potatoes, uh, all, all that sort of thing, until I got a job in the mines. I, um, I actually was recruited to play for Swan Districts in the Waffle, and I went up for a little while, but uh, they couldn't give me uh, adequate work at the time. So, and at the uh, corresponding time, I got offered to work in the, in the coal mine industry. So I went back to Collie and worked in the mines, uh, where, I, um, where I became a, uh, a, a well, initial work was um, general hand. It did drilling and, and, and blasting operations uh, before you drove the trucks. And I ended up driving those uh, couple hundred tonne trucks and uh, haul packs and then, um, I, I thought, well, I, I started studying then I became what they call a deputy, which is a supervisor, frontline supervisor. And um, it, was, uh, it was a pretty good, pretty good job that the hours were, initially were very good, but in the end they had started working 12-hour shifts and uh, night shift for 12 hours, is, you know, that was a pit to, to sort of drag you down a bit. But uh, was it, nevertheless, it was a good life. And, um, yeah, uh, but... A lot of jobs, a lot of different jobs, and a lot of a lot of memories, a lot of uh, interactions with people. I want to go back just to talk a little bit about your your sporting um, prowess and and that influence on your life. You obviously mentioned about uh, the two farmer boys who were made it to AFL uh, level, um, and you obviously were pretty handy as well. If you were um, had the opportunity to play in the waffle, how important was your sport as you were growing up? Uh, it was very important to, to Aboriginal people. It was it, because you know, out in the field, you you were part of a team, and you you were one. There wasn't any differences and stuff like that, unless you know, unless you got the allocation with the opposition. But um, yeah, I I had a, a pretty good uh, football life, I suppose you could say. I I um, quite successful. Won the first and best on four occasions. Runner up a few times. Uh, got about four or five medals somewhere around. I'm not sure where they are, but they're mm. there. Sunday time. So I won the medal for the best in the Southwest League, which is uh, covered Bunbury, Bussum, Collie, and a, a few places like that. At the time, it was the strongest league outside of Perth. So, and I 
they struck a medal for me representing that particular league more than 50 times. I think we played about four or five matches a year. So right. I was, uh, yeah, I, I was pretty lucky and I, it's a bit hard to say how, how, you know, talk about how good you were at sport, but it, with me and a lot of Aboriginal people, um, you know, it's acceptance and you're part of the, 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 the community and that sort of thing. Um, I like to think, and I, you know, maybe I know I might sound too big-headed, but I'd probably be in that, uh, you know, nowadays, what, what I'm trying to say, nowadays they recruit as many people as they can. It's a lot easier, if I would say so, to, to actually get that opportunity. Um, when I was playing, it was very difficult to break into the, the league sides in Perth. So it sounds like, um, at least in your early years, you had um, you know, a hard life but a good life. You had a good friendship group, and obviously you've held on to those friendships for um, you know the best part of, uh, of half a century. You um, did well in your sports, and I imagine you got a you know obviously would have got a fair sense of belonging and self esteem from your success there. When along that journey, did it become, uh, or do you feel that? Uh, being a, a man of uh, Aboriginal descent was holding you back or you felt that sense of, um, you know, racism if you did get that at all um, growing up as a, as a young man? Well, I think every Aboriginal person, male or female, would have had periods of racism at one stage or, or another. Uh, when I think back, it was more uh, probably when I was a little bit younger that I and, and you didn't know how to deal with it. I think with, when you establish yourself in life, it, it's, it possibly would be there, although it's not as in your face like it was, like it was on the occasions before. But my dad always preached uh, guts and determination, the old footy adage, and um, especially determination. And I was always determined to succeed at what I did. Now, um, that was what the philosophy I took with football and and even, uh, you know, with chiropractic, I, started, I went to uni at a, at a late age, mature age, and um, a lot of people expect me to drop out. And, and I, um, I was determined to, to, um, to, to, to continue. So at the, the early uh, preaching determination from my father sort of kicked me in good stead along the line. Sounds like it did. So let's talk now about your chiropractic career. And as you mentioned, uh, you didn't come to chiropractic too much later in life. You were a minor and did many other things prior to that. Um, how did you transition or make the decision that you wanted to be a chiropractor? Well, it it was probably uh, it was when I was playing football. I've been to chiropractors, and obviously you get hurt and you get you know. The back takes a bit of a hammering, and so I went to chiropractors, and I liked what happened. You know, the, the, the you know uh, receiving that that uh, health aspect, and then uh, I, but I was cemented pretty much in the, in the mining industry. I was on fairly good wage and stuff like that. But I had a couple of personal uh, situations that uh, I would left me a little bit depressed, to be honest with you, and um, I. Um, I had a very good friend, Dr. Ernie Manier, who at one time was the mayor of Bunbury. And uh, I, I sort of went and seen him uh, for a bit of advice and as well as the check, health checkup. And he, he advised me to, to you know, get out of uh, trying to leave Collie 
And I said, I, I said the words, where am I going to go? And he said, well, you can go anywhere. And I said, what am I going to do? I've been in the mines all this time. He said, you can do anything you want. He said, surely there must be something that you wanted to do. And I said, I said, then, well, well, I would want to be a chiropractor. And he said, well, go and do it. And I said, well, how would that, how can I do that? I, I, I said, you know, I'm too old, aren't I? Because I was uh, 54 at the time. And he said to me, well, no, look at me. He said, I'm 80. I'd still practice medicine. He said, you've got plenty of time in, ahead of you. So I thought, okay. And, and so I, uh, the Murdoch University was, uh, I made some inquiries. My nephew was in charge of the Kulbati Aboriginal Centre. And um, I made some inquiries and they'd just started their chiropractic uh, um, cohort. So I think the first cohort was gone, gone in. And so I... I uh, uh, went and uh, talked to uh, Jim Reynoldson, who was in charge of the uh, 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 that health side of things with the um, vet, veterinarian and, and that. And I spoke to him and um, he, he, you know, we I had to go through a series of uh, exams, I suppose you say, uh, once he, he accepted me and I had to uh, go up for a week and I got... Uh, had to do essays, I had to do maths and all the things that uh, I'd forgotten about. But um, but I, um, you know, I passed those tests and then a, a panel voted for me to go and I got the nod and um, I don't mind admitting it was pretty hard, the whole transition and, and, and study because I hadn't been to school for, it seemed like, 100 years ago, you know. And um, But I was determined and... You know, like I, I actually passed everything. I had, might have had, I had to have a couple of goes at a, a, a couple of subjects, but I, I got through, and it, it was, it was something that I found really rewarding. The, the life, even though you know you're a student, you don't have any money, you're, you're on Centrelink and stuff like that. I, I found it very rewarding because um, it uh, helped me to get over those personal issues, and um, and I made some. Uh, other friends there that I, that I still keep in touch with. So it, it was good, but it's quite funny because a lot of people expect me to drop out with the age and, and, and the difficulty of chiropractic, uh, 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 the education. And uh, But every time Dad's determination sung through and I got there. Well, obviously, uh, your father was a great influence on you, and thank goodness for that because um, it is a—I mean, it's an amazing achievement for anyone to, at 54 years of age, to go and study chiropractic, having not been in the education system for for so long. But particularly, I guess, if you don't have around you um, mentors and examples of um, of people who have done that before. I mean, you really did blaze a trail in many ways. You had support and people who encouraged you along, but, um, you know, well done. That is a really an amazing effort to have achieved what you've achieved. I would like to say, add to that, uh, um, Anthony, if I may, uh, there's a lot of Aboriginal people that fall through the cracks because they, they don't have the opportunity they, they don't have the mentoring uh, that they're, they're not uh, they have the intelligence and it's just intelligence that they've grown up in a different way and um, I really um, hope that we get more chiropractors in in uh, Aboriginal chiropractors in our, in our um, uh, uh, what do they call their family you know yes. because like, they're, they're they're out there they just need encouragement to be, to participate and I guess it's that um 
those opportunities and being culturally sensitive to their needs that's really critical in supporting them. Did you get, do you feel you got good support from, uh, I guess, from Murdoch and from uh, from other sources through, through the course? Oh, definitely, definitely. Um, you know, uh, I, 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 um, quite a sociable person. I, you know, the, the, the people that were around me in chiropractic and also uh, in the greater university community, they, I, I knew lots of people. I made myself known to them. Um, and, uh, yeah, it was it, the uh, demonstrators and the um, professors and all that sort of thing. And it, it was, as I said, a rewarding experience. And, and um, I think that that um, feeling comfortable helped me a lot. And I think that uh, most people that go to uni, if they... If they get in the zone, they're more likely to succeed. Yeah. Now, I guess when you when you're a trailblazer like you are, uh, you can't help, even if you don't want to, you can't help but be um, considered and expected to be a role model and a mentor for for others in your community. Obviously, I know about your involvement um, with ARPAN, the uh, Aboriginal and Torres Strait Island Rural and Remote Practitioner Network. That's, that's quite a mouthful, that one, um, with yeah. the ACA. And, and I know you're um, politically involved uh, in with other things as well. Tell us a little bit about your life in this space beyond just being a chiropractor, but um, but those other things. Well, uh, yeah, I, I um, at uh, Murdoch I was on the guild, and uh, it uh, I actually it was my idea. They go up north, uh, take students up, the chiropractic students up to Tom Price and the like uh, through sponsorship with Rio and and the BHP and that and. Uh, uh, through that was my idea, um, uh, and and you know like because I think originally uh, at a guild meeting they talked about going to India. They were doing some India uh, trips to India, and I suggested that we, uh, we we contribute in our own backyard first, or not so much first, but as well because there's a lot of people that probably can't afford to go to chiropractors, but nevertheless, you know, it, it, they need it. And um, there was the, they accepted that and the, uh, the board, the chiropractic board at the time, you know, made some uh, inquiries and uh, Bruce Walker um, ran with it. I think there was a, a John Silverthorne that was in mining at the time. His daughter was doing chiropractic and, they, they put some money together and they they uh, went up north early days at Kununurra and places like that. And um, then uh, when it, I think, remember you had to be going in your fifth year to your final year to, before you were able to go and I had to wait to go. And I went to Tom Price with a few other uh, students and uh, that was rewarding. And then after that, you have to wait a couple of years before you can go up as a supervisor. So I... When I when I had that experience out in the field, I uh, decided I'd like to contribute a bit more and went up there with them. And um, yeah, along the way, uh, I uh, the political side, I, I had some uh, I had a really good mate, uh, Michael Murray Murray, who was uh, just retired. He was the minister for sport and ageing, and I also. Uh, a second friend uh, in Parliament, um, the Health Minister, um, Roger Cook. 
And uh, so I organised a um, to, to highlight what we're doing and to see about trying to get extra funding from the likes of Rio and, and get accepted by WAX, the Western uh, Country Health Association. Uh, I, I, I asked Mick to organise a meeting uh, um, at Parliament House for myself, Lyndon Woods, who you know well, and yes. um, Shelley, the, the WA president. And we went in and we had some meaningful talks with Roger um, uh, just briefly on that day, but then we met again at, at his office. And um, uh, from there, that we got an endorsement and support. And so uh, to the fact where we actually go into, uh, well, they were going into hospitals in um, um, up, up in that uh, mining area. Now, I'm no longer participate in that but Lyndon still does and it's quite successful they're still going and it's um it's a it's probably about time it grow it grew a bit more because I think that once you break into a hospital uh, you we should sort of uh, work a bit more and get into more hospitals um you know uh, well that's my opinion anyway but I'm not quite sure how they would expand because that West Australia is quite a big state and and um they go north, and but I think there's opportunities there to go south as well. Yeah, certainly Minister Cook's been a great supporter of that program and indeed of chiropractic and uh, the ACA uh, uh, major sponsors of that outreach program uh, that you're talking about. So, uh, And we've just committed funds for the next two years. So um, hopefully that will continue to grow um, and our influence and ability to help people of... Um, Aboriginal heritage, both in terms of providing care, but also perhaps inspiring more of them to uh, do what you've done and, uh, and become a chiropractor. Yes, definitely. So I guess in, in summing up, what legacy would you like to leave, you know, your profession and, and your culture? Legacy, you know, that's it's, it's a, it's a hard one because, I mean, uh, you know, I think when we talk in terms of legacy, it's about how you want to remember, be remembered and what achievements you've done and uh, that sort of thing. But the, the way of the world now is a lot of people are quickly forgotten and, and people move on. From my personal point of view, I, I just basically like more Aboriginal chiropractors to be part of our uh, of uh, the Chiropractic Association and... Uh, I think the major thing is to make more chiropractic uh, uh, health more accessible to not only Aboriginal people but at the lower socioeconomic types because um, it, it's, it's, it certainly benefits them and that a lot of them need it because when you're on that lower end of the scale, you're more likely to be doing labour and work and, and back break. Well, not back, I shouldn't say that, but, you know, um, hard work where you need your, your, your systems and your, your structure and all that to carry it through. So it's definite, uh, uh, there's a definite uh, niche in there and I think that probably the ACA moving forward should probably uh, try and look at ways where uh, that can help, uh, that can um, be established, I mean. Fantastic, Bill. Look, I think your your life story is a very interesting one and I think it's um, great to reflect on your achievements and perhaps um, how chiropractors out there can sort of make a difference 
in society on, on all different levels, not just in terms of, uh, I, I guess, people of Aboriginal Torres Strait Island background. Of course, that's what we're talking about today, and that's very important. But um, to, to, to make a, a real genuine difference to our communities, and I think that's what you're sort of talking about. That's the legacy, I think, that uh, in some ways, hopefully, we would all like to leave. Yes, I agree, totally. All right, Bill, thank you so much for your time today. Uh, I really appreciate uh, all the work uh, that you do. Uh, that's it for me. Thanks for listening. I hope this podcast has been helpful in your quest for excellence. And I look forward to chatting with you again on our next ACA podcast. Mm -hmm.